And now, Thriller Thursdays on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Chapter 22 The pounding at the door jarred me awake. It had taken on a rhythmic tempo of knocking that had been going on for a long time, and my first impulse was to shoot somebody. To be completely accurate, my first impulse was to shoot Jack, since I was sure it was him. The knocking was irritating and random, which in a short time I had clearly come to associate with Blackjack Justice. As I fumbled for the Beretta on the nightstand, my eyes focused on the clock. Six in the morning. Couldn't be Jack. Too late to be up late, too Jack to be up early. I stepped out of the bedroom into the sitting room. Just a minute, I called, mostly to make the knocking stop, though I had given away any element of surprise I might have held in the process. The things we do to keep our neighbors from complaining. The room was mostly dark, and I kept it that way. The light spill from the lamp in the hall might give my position away. I crept closer to the doorway and gripped the Beretta hard. It occurred to me at last that this could be a visitor from our friend Big Al Rossetti, who might not have gotten the news just yet that we had given up snooping in his backyard. I slid close to the peephole and spotted the cop on the other side. I set the Beretta down on the shelf behind the door and turned the knob, opening the door as far as the safety chain would allow. "'What is it?' I said. "'Police, miss,' the uniform stammered. It occurred to me for the first time that I had reached for my handgun as a normal girl might reach for her robe, and in the process had not covered up my sleeping attire, which was soft and satiny and clung to my curves. Even at 6 a.m., Miss Dixon could distract the forces of law and order.' Good to know. I know who you are, Peaches, I said. What I want to know is why you're beating an irregular bossa nova on my poor little door at this ungodly hour. Lieutenant Sabian, miss, the poor kid stumbled. He wants you. That is, he wants you downtown. I mean, he told me to bring you down there. Downtown, I mean. You really need to work on your entrance, I said. If you like, I could close the door and we could try again. Uh, No, thank you, miss, he said, furrowing his eyebrows and trying to look stern and unaroused. Tell Lieutenant Sabian that I'll pencil him in for 10.30 this morning, but that I only have half an hour, I lied. I can't do that, miss, he said. Lieutenant Sabian, he said I was to give you five minutes to get dressed, and if you wouldn't come, to drag you downtown as you are. I closed the door quickly, unlatched the chain and opened the door, wider this time, giving him a good look at what he'd only been guessing at. Do you have any idea how loud I would squawk if you dragged me anywhere like this, I said. He swallowed hard and tried to look away. They really needed to start toughening these kids up. By the time I was done crying to a review board, neither you nor Sabian would be cops anymore, that's for damn sure. He was looking above my head and doing it pretty resolutely. I'll have to take that chance, miss, he said. All right, O'Doul, I said. Don't get rough. Come in. My name is Henderson, miss, he said. I'll let you know if I start giving a damn, I said, closing the door behind him and picking up my piece from behind the door, which also seemed to startle him. Poor, delicate flower of youth. Have a seat in the front room, O'Doul. I'll be with you presently. Five minutes, miss, he warned. In five minutes, O'Doul, I will be even less ready to go than I am now, I said, and try to remember that I'm armed. Yes, miss, he said, slumping ever so slightly. I did not really require thirty-two minutes to get ready. In fact, I had to sit down and read a chapter of a paperback by my bedside in order to pass the time slowly enough to be a genuine pain in the backside, but not quite slowly enough for Officer Henderson to feel obligated to start rapping at my chamber door, which might give him the impression that he was in some way in control of the situation. 
At last, I stepped out into the sitting room where my erstwhile chaperone sat humbled with his hat in his hands and looking profoundly relieved. Would you like some coffee, I offered, mostly just to watch his face turn pale. Uh, no, miss, he stammered. We really don't have time to make any. I made a small, pouty face. Then we will have to stop en route, O'Doul. We shall have to stop en route. It is difficult to say exactly what displeased Lieutenant Sabian more. The timing of my arrival, the paper cup and the Danish in my hands, or the lack of handcuffs on my wrists. Sabian was big on handcuffs. I suspected him of being a secret fetishist, but had never kidded him on the point, mostly because I was certain that he would not blush like dear little Officer Henderson had. Sabian eyed my Danish with much the same unconcealed desire with which Henderson had been contemplating other delights back in my doorway. To each their own, though to be fair to Sabian, I was now wearing a much more conservative tweed suit. Is there anything else we can get for you, princess, he asked. No, thanks, I smiled, nibbling a speck of icing off my thumb. I'm just fine. These games are going to get you in trouble, Dixon, he said. You sound just like the sisters, I smiled. I know what I'm doing, and you know that I do. That's what drives you crazy. What drives me crazy, he growled, is that when you finally go too far and get yourself dead, it's me that's going to have to play who done it. Why, Lieutenant Sabian, I purred. I didn't know you cared. Shut up, he said, in a pretty decent simulation of disgust. You didn't send O'Doul in to drag me down here in my delicates to play guidance counselor, did you, I asked. He didn't do much of a job of that, I see, Sabian said, with a glare towards the wall of mirrors, suggesting my playmate was back there. I waggled my fingers, hello, and could almost feel him blush, though I couldn't see him. He talked rough, I said. I had to teach him a lesson. One of these days somebody's going to teach you a lesson, Sabian said, and it isn't going to be us. God knows I've tried. I looked at him and had a sudden revelation. Sabian, I said, you're way too young to have these kind of paternal feelings toward me. Sabian's ears flushed ever so slightly, and I knew that I had scored a hit for the very first time ever. If you were my daughter, I'd turn you over my knee and give you a good spanking. Stop it, I said, you're making me crazy. Sabian slammed his hand on on the table in frustration. My paper cup jumped, but did not spill. I picked it up and took a delicate sip as he thundered. Damn it, Dixon! Can't you see when you're in over your head? I played with my cup a little. You don't scare me much, Sabian, I said. Believe it or not, he said, I am the least of your problems, though I'm prepared to move up the list in a hell of a hurry. I officially lost my patience. Just tell me what was so all-fired important that I had to scamper down here at six in the morning. Sabian opened a file and threw a series of photographs down on the table in front of me. I did not look at them. If those are dirty pictures from Jimmy Lish's, I said, I should warn you that I'm not in the mood anymore. Just look at them, Sabian said, in a voice that would bite me in half if it could. I looked. It was Anne Mayfield. Dead. She was dressed more or less the way I was when Henderson had banged on my door. She was hanging from an exposed beam in a sitting room in the first couple of pictures. The rest had been taken after she'd been cut down, and were mostly detail shots of the rope marks on her neck and some shots of what looked like bruising around her wrist. I put the pile down and looked back at Sabian. Yes, I asked. Your client, Sabian said. Ex-client, I said. Whatever, he said with a shake of his head. Who did this, I asked, trying to remain calm. If he saw that I was angry, he might get confused and think that I was scared. She did, he said holding out a plastic bag with a piece of paper in it. She left a note and everything. 
I took the bag and read the note as best I could through the plastic, which I was clearly not invited to open. In it, she confessed to the murder of her husband's mistress, Janet Timms, and claimed to be unable to live with herself. The note was typewritten, but signed, and it looked genuine. This is bunk, I said, trying to sound certain. Typewriter was in the study, Sabian said. The print matches and the signature is right enough. A woman doesn't hang herself, Sabian, I said. Some do, he shrugged. Not this one. Some would do the head in the oven, but that wouldn't be Anne Mayfield either, I said. She would be sleeping pills, a lot of them, and she would never let you find her looking like that. She'd be horrified. She'd have got dressed up in her finest and left a handwritten note by her beautiful corpse. Sabian snorted. You know, the ones that take pills usually vomit all over themselves in the end. Yeah, I said. I know that, but they don't, and she wouldn't. No, she wouldn't, he said. And if you thought she really killed herself, I said, or if you wanted me to think so, you wouldn't have left in that picture of her wrist. Somebody grabbed her and held her. Hard, right? Maybe, he said. So who did it, I repeated. I have already been instructed, he said, as quietly as he ever said anything, to use extreme discretion in tying up loose ends in the matter of Anne Mayfield's tragic suicide. You know it wasn't a suicide, I said. Nobody wants to hear it, Dixon, he said. You're not going to let that stop you, I said. It wasn't really a question, and he didn't take it as one. Nobody tells me to walk away, Sabian growled. Nobody. But it's going to be quiet, so it's going to take time. Why tell me, I shrugged. Why do you think, he asked. This is a bad one. You're in trouble, Dixon. Trouble, I asked. This is stupid. Anne Mayfield hired me to get photographs of her husband and his mistress in action. She gives me the address and tells me that they get down to business on Tuesdays. Then she heads over herself and kills Janet Timms in the one time and place when she can be absolutely certain that someone is watching. It's too stupid to live. Right, said Sabian, which means you weren't hired to take pictures at all, which is why there aren't any. You were hired to be a distraction, an alibi, which makes you a co-conspirator. What? I hollered. That's idiotic. It's enough to keep you in a cell for a while, Sabian said. Not if you want to keep this quiet, I said. You think Molly Cameron won't sing to the press if I ask her to? City Hall isn't the only thing keeping the papers quiet, Sabian said. You think I don't know that? Right now, you're the only person that can testify what Anne Mayfield did and said at your meeting. Which means you're the only one that can make the suicide sound like a fairy tale. Which means the only place for you that's even remotely safe is a holding cell. Just until this blows over a little. Jesus Christ, Sabian, I said. Are you protecting me? If you repeat it, he said, gathering up the photos, I will deny it. I didn't ask for that, and I don't want it, I said angrily. You can't just barge into my life and throw me in a cell because you reckon it's getting too dangerous. No, he said, I can't. But we can play it that way for a couple of days, and you can still be more or less alive at the end of this. I'm leaving now, I said. Think about what you're doing, Dixon, Sabian said without getting up. Even if you make it out of this one, this little game doesn't have a happy ending. You keep this wise guy routine up, you wind up a big zero like your pal Blackjack. That guy is nothing, Dixon, and you could end up just like him. I am nothing like Jack Justice, I said, and opened the door leaving my Danish to be scavenged by the wolves. This is Thursday Thrillers, audio with action on the Mutual Audio Network. Join us tomorrow on Mutual with Friday Follies, the the end-of-the-week collection of comedy cut-ups. 
You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of audio drama that fits your fancy. Or find the Friday Follies feed in your favorite podcast players. Now that's a lot of effort. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.